Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. And on Alex Garrett Podcasting, we have a very exciting weekend upcoming on the show. We've got to talk about. The fact that this ends National Disability Employment Awareness Month. It's a bit of a mouthful to say, but yes, all month long there have been companies, there have been organizations honoring this month. But I figured let's talk about this at the end of October because there are organizations and those same organizations who are advocating and placing and making sure people with disabilities are hired into November and beyond. They they work nonstop. They work past the awareness month and bring awareness all the time. And one of those groups most certainly is the Center for the Independent Disabled New Yorkers, CIDNY. And with me in and I'm proud to say this is the executive director, Dr. Sharon McLennan Weir. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about this important event for people with disabilities. And uh, Dr. Sharon, I, I wanted to know, firstly, uh, your story as the executive director, because obviously, if the audience may not be familiar, you are um, blind, but you don't let that stop you. But I want to know your story first, and then we can go into what the organization does for people with disabilities. Uh, sure. So uh, my story is a, <laughs> is a long story, but I'm going to make it really quick. Um, I, at the age of six, I started losing vision. And by the time I um, became uh, in my early 20s, I've lost pretty much all of my sight. Uh, I am 51 years old now, and I'm a totally blind person. Um, I do not see anything, um, no light perception, just darkness. Um, so pretty much my whole life, I've been living as a blind person, and going to school, um, you know, making friends, learning how to engage in hobbies, um, the world of work has always been from that perspective. So um, I'm part of the community. Um, I understand how hard it is to achieve. And um, what I've learned in my life that um, if you have a disability, at times it, it takes um, you working two or three times harder um, to obtain um, basic things. Um, that people without disabilities have. And sometimes the um, motivation and momentum can wax and wane um, depending on the um, obstacles that come in your way. So as the executive director, um, it's been a long battle to, to get to this point as um, leading a um, disability rights organization. And my goal is really to 
help other people with disabilities understand their story and understand that they are um, able to achieve in life, um, no matter what the level of disability is. Um, if you can engage in a volunteer experience or a part-time job or a full-time job, whatever your story, your lens allows for, you should try to achieve that. And we honor Disability Awareness Month um, because unfortunately, people without disabilities um, bring a lot of preconceived notions, misperceptions, stigma, prejudice, against people with disabilities because they think that if you have a disability, you aren't able to do A, B, and C. And we take this month to acknowledge the fact that there are people with disabilities working and many more would like to work and there could be a lot of um, obstacles and barriers to working, but the desire to work is present for all people with disabilities as well as for people without disabilities. I feel like it's sort of in the community an instinct to want to get there. So how do you have, how do you how do you motivate people to you know work? I, it's it's not that easy to be motivated if you have a disability. So how does CIDNY and how do you personally motivate people? Yeah, you can do this just like anybody else can. Yeah, I think a lot of it is um, hard to say, but a lot of it is a need. A lot of it is what psychologists call resilience and um, motivating principle. So if you're in an environment where you have a disability and you have those around you who um, have disabilities and, and you see them engaging in life and doing what they have to do, then you immediately can replicate that and mimic that. Um, so Sydney serves as that, mo that motivator, that, that, that agency of change, that role model, that people can come in and see people with disabilities engaging in work. Um, about 60% of our staff have a disability, maybe obvious or hidden. Um, and like you said earlier, uh, I'm the executive director and, I, and I'm totally blind, so it's a very obvious disability. Um, so when people come in, um, uh, service folks, um, legislators, donors, um, we are living, breathing the walk and talk of what it's like to live with a disability. And I think it's important for New Yorkers who may not know about Sydney or other disability-related organizations to, to find out that information, to get acclimated, get yourself part of the community to understand that, yes, it's very tough, it's really hard, um, but there's over 61 million people in the United States that have a documented disability. And post-COVID, um, we are going to see um, even more people um, with disabilities just due to long COVID and the effects of that, and also with the psychological implications of social isolation due to COVID. So it's going to grow. I know that, yeah, and it's going to impact the younger generation, too, because obviously everybody's sort of set back in the school system and whatnot. But, you know, you mentioned uh, how it's sort of an innate thing. So when you travel around on behalf of Sydney, I mean, I'm sure you do conferences and whatnot. Um, what's the energy? I mean, I'm sure these different outlets that you speak to, they want to get people back to work too. And, and the partnerships you have must be very expensive at Sydney as well. Yes. Um, the idea of work, I think, is salient for all groups. Um, 
as the representative of Sydney, um, I am fighting for access, uh, inclusion, uh, and universal design in all aspects of New York City. So when we talk about going back to work, we also have to talk about um, how do we get to work safely, um, making sure that we have accessible transportation, um, making sure that the work environments are safe because, you know, people have been working remotely um, for the last two and a half years. And all organizations, including Sydney, um, is trying to bring um, workers back some, somehow, some way, part-time um, to the office. So it's important for, for employers to understand um, what their cultural framework is, you know, what their employees want, um, how to keep them safe um, from uh, that's better ventilation systems to um, hygiene and protocol cleaning um, to, uh, you know, having separate workstations, um, you know, having distancing in the offices, um, the, op the open floor plan um, it's not the typical floor plan anymore in the sense of dealing with, um, you know, the pandemic, understanding that, you know, people may need, um, you know, walls around them. You can make them in a, in a cubicle setting as best as you can. But the key point is to have that ventilation and also to think about a framework of work. Like if you're able to have people work um, two or three days remotely and still get the work done in the most efficient manner and, and, and still be able to serve your customers and clients, then maybe that's the way you need to go. Uh, I think all employers are trying to kind of rethink how the, the, the world of work, uh, you know, the landscape should be right now. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the advocacy part, advocacy part because I know that you guys also have a lot of projects where we – and we have to recognize, as people with disabilities, we also are taxpayers. And you guys recognize that off the bat. And I believe you got this project going um, where you're going to sort of tell City Hall, hey, here's where we want our resources and our taxpayers' uh, taxpaying dollars to go uh, on behalf of disabled New Yorkers. Am I right on that? Yeah. So the People Money Project um, is a – great way. I think it's the first time where the mayor's office is actually speaking to the stakeholders, the community, the taxpayers about how they want their money, this $5 million to be spent. Um, and Sydney is part of that initiative where we are reaching out to a lot of our consumers um, for them to join um, in our in these uh, workshops. They're in person as well as virtual workshops um, to talk about ideas um, that you know affects them from having um, all restaurants be accessible to having maybe an app on hotels uh, where they, uh, which hotels in New, York, in New York City are accessible or being able to go to a restaurant and knowing that if you use a motorized wheelchair, um, you'll be able to fit into the restroom independently. Because, um, you know, a lot of these hotels, bars, restaurants, um, have very small bathrooms that, um, you know, it's challenging for a person without a disability to get into. So, uh, yeah, so being able to even go into Central Park and know that um, there's available porta potty that you can get into and that is, um, you know, clean and, and accessible. So this opportunity for New Yorkers to come out and talk about how they want their neighborhood to, to look different 
uh, it's a great opportunity. Uh, it's an opportunity, like if there's some type of service that you don't see in your neighborhood, it could be um, as simple as um, having street signs because some neighborhoods street signs are not replaced and that's challenging. Um, so maybe your curb cuts are not up to date. Um, they've worn down or um, they've, they've been cracked. You know, you can have money spent to refurbish those things or maybe you don't have a community center um, for seniors and maybe and, you and, want and can this help uh, fix the elevators? Because having commuted with uh, these are just their their elevator service is crappy, right? So mm-hmm. is that also in the in the game plan as well? Well, yeah. I mean, you know that Sydney and uh, as, as well as other uh, disability uh, rights organizations, we just recently in June of 2022 uh, signed a settlement with the Metropolitan Transit Authority (MTA) which um, outlines um, their 30-year plan to update all stations throughout the system ensure that stations have elevators um, in working condition, but also elevators that are actually um, newly installed um, so that people who are unable to use stairs um, have a way of using the subway, a way of accessing the subway. Uh, Yes, 30 years is a very long time. Uh, and I know that Sydney's um, previous executive director, um, Susan Duha, and other advocates, um, you know, fought for the last five years um, to to get a better deal. Um, but this is a deal that we have, and it is um, historic to have in writing that New York City, uh, one of the oldest um, transit uh, hubs, per se, um, will one day be accessible to every single user. I mean, that's phenomenal. So we 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 hope that um, through time and each year from this year, 2022, moving forward, that um, we will start to see uh, accessibility being implemented in the New York City subway system. So... <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to to say this with any malice, but I um, I feel like sometimes those in the community tend to rely heavily on I don't know just going after businesses that you know may may not either know or may not uh, may just need to be educated and, and instead they just say well you're not doing ADA. Uh, my point with this question is how do you encourage those to live a balanced life as a regular? citizen, if you will, because that's what we want to be. We want to be normalized, right, in society, and at the same time fight for their rights, but not to the point of injuring uh, the the average business that may not genuinely know uh, sometimes the ADA, if my, if my question makes sense. Yeah, so um, it's a perfect question, and I would say to you that that's another uh, feature of Sydney uh, that we do. We do do a lot of disability literacy and information to organizations and businesses. Um, the first uh, mode of trying to understand ADA is not to sue. Um, sometimes there are some small business owners that really don't know, uh, and they have no idea about what ADA is. What did you get your doctorate in? Oh, oh, sure. Uh, counseling psychology. So, um, yes, uh, I am a counseling psychologist. And I went to Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm also a mental health provider in addition to working at Sydney. Um, and I work with clients with all different types of psychological issues 
And it's important for people to be um, very aware of their physical health as well as their mental health. Uh, I think the pandemic has definitely um, spotlight uh, mental health and the need for it and and also um, good mental well-being and, and just overall wellness. Um, you know, we talk about whatever we put into our bodies, whatever we consume, um, either from our mouths or from our ears or our eyes, can um, definitely impact one's um, overall being. And that's very true about um, what we read and what we hear and how that can impact our um, mental health. Uh, and, and you know what, it, this COVID thing screwed everybody up, but I'm glad that Sydney, C-I-D-N-Y, is there. All right, one big thing that I forgot to ask you about that I want to right now before we close up for now, but I'm definitely going to have you back, Dr. Sharon McLennan-Weir, because you are, you are awesome. I, I love talking to you. And this is our first conversation, but I feel like I've known you for a while. So thank you for, you know, being so open our first conversation. This, this has been great. But what about the parade? We missed it. We we, we had a private <laughs> reschedule. So what's up with that? Yeah, well, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to figure that out. I know that there's been some advocates that we're trying to pull something together for this Sunday, um, but it's, it's a little disjointed. I think that the, um, the individuals that planned the initial Pride Parade, um, one of our staff members, uh, Monica, was also on that committee. Um, they worked really hard to try to bring that parade um, to us, um, but unfortunately, you know, Mother Nature um, played 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 her or his role in that, and I am sure that we'll we'll have another parade uh, in the near future. I don't I don't know when, but I am sure that um, the advocates will get together and and put something forward. I think what we need to remember is that disability pride is not just in the parade; it's something that we should um, uh, we should uh, ex- express every day as we live our lives, living and working in New York City. Um, when you step out of your home, um, go into whatever appointment you're going to, um, if you're speaking to someone um, over, a coffee, over a cup of coffee, um, having dinner, friends, whatever you're doing, um, you should be proud of who you are. Um, and disability is just one aspect of you. And I would just say to folks, um, you know, yes, it's a shame that we didn't get to have the parade, but that disability pride is within you every day, and it's not just during parade day. I always feel like I'm marching to it with work, and I feel like everybody who, who does that and, and lives their life the best they can um, definitely marches to it. All right, what, one last thing. The, the newsletter is a big deal. I get it every, you know, every, I feel like, weekly. How can others sign up for it and even be part of the town halls that you guys have? Um, go to Sydney, C-I-D-N-Y dot org, and you can sign up um, and, and find out all information. Um, you could also email um, our Director of Communications, and that's J. Peters, P as in Paul, E as in Edward, T as in Tom, E as in Edward, R as in Robert, S as in Sam, at C as in cat, I as in indigo, D as in dog, and as in Nancy, Y as in yellow, dot Org. So Jay Peters at Sydney.org is our communications director, and he will give you, he will make sure that you get a um, either email copy of our newsletter or uh, a hard copy in the mail. 
By the way, Jeff Peters, thank you for arranging this conversation with Dr. McClellan Weir. You guys are awesome, and I'm going to have you back on. And, of course, as I say, we might be nearing the end of October, but the awareness never stops. And I'd love to have you on next month to see what's going on for the winter for you guys. Okay, great. Um, thank you, Al, so much for having me. And, again, I just wanted to say to everyone, please um, don't feel hopeless. Um, feel empowered. And Sydney oh. can help with that. Thank you. We need that message as we hit the, into the darker times of the year. You know, when it gets dark out, the depression level for some just rises. So that word of encouragement, highly needed for, for many. And thank you so much for offering that today, Dr. Uh, Sharon. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting.